we had a very strange game that was called something like oh god i can't remember what it was called it was about flying around the world you had a little plane and and you would fly around the world you'd have to like connect various different uh goods actually that wasn't my favorite one i'm remembering it now it was awful god that was boring why do we play that so often i think cluedo i think again here's a boy who's perpetually murdering his action man in different ways so take me to the conservatory and give me the spanner Thank you so much for joining us on So I Started Revolution from My Bed, a podcast about nice things, mindfulness, favourites, you name it. We're going to have a nice conversation and Robin Ince is the perfect guest for this. He is an author, he is a broadcaster, he is a comedian. His book, I'm a Joke and So Are You, is just brilliant. It really helped me at the time and I really recommend it. But this is a kind of Christmas special because on the Cosmic Shambles Network, which is what Robin is a part of, along with Josie Long. They're doing a live Christmas Day special. Could you think of anything better? So make sure you tune into that. Go to the Cosmic Shambles Network, which is cosmicshambles.com, and just get involved in that, because that's perfect for lockdown, isn't it? And, yes, this, this podcast is all about mindfulness and all of that kind of thing. Um, it comes from a chronic illness perspective, so there's going to be people that, once lockdown is over, hopefully, touch wood, there's a place in the future where it is, People with chronic illnesses, they're still going to be housebound and isolated. So let's, let's have them born in mind in this as well. And if you need any help whatsoever, this podcast is produced in support of the Calm Zone. So that's the campaign against living miserably. They've got a helpline, 0800 58 Go and find them on the internet. They've got a web chat. And also, if you can spare any money, if you enjoy this episode, please give a donation to them. So, let's talk to Robin Ince about his favourite things, his nice things, his, his mindfulness exercises, how does he cope, what's he found about himself in lockdown. Lots to talk about. Don't forget the Christmas special. Let's get straight into this. This is Robin Ince on So I Start a Revolution from My Bed. Right, so I'm joined by Robin Ince, who I can't thank enough because I've met Robin a few times now, and you've always been so bloody nice genuinely nice we went for a drink in canterbury after one of your gigs once and then since then you've just been lovely and attainable and i've always recommended your book because it is just incredible can you first of all tell me a little bit about what the book is about well the book was uh, do you know what? it's one of those weird things i think whatever i eventually wrote was not the plan of, of the book that i originally it, it's about trying to understand what it is to be human and how we become who we become and then how we deal with that but looking at it through the lens of various kind of myths sometimes and sometimes truths about stand-up comics because i thought stand-up comics so often are you know you see those documentaries and they show the worst traits or they show the most miserable traits or they tell you they're the saddest stories because it connects well to say that someone who's made you laugh had some some terrible secret or whatever it might be is is perfect for the documentary maker so i thought if i kind of pick those apart a little bit and use those as a springboard it's a good way of looking at the fact that the experience of a stand-up comic 
is actually the experience of an enormous number of human beings. And so, you know, the the creation myth of a stand-up comic, what happened to them as a child, you know, with Peter Sellers, he was too close to his mother, apparently, Peg. You know, for a lot of other people, it's about the loss of a parent or a divorce, uh, things like that. So I, I would use each chapter would start off with those kind of ideas and then branch out and look at how for everyone, you know, and, and any child who has had some sense of trauma, and sometimes it might be something on the page does not even appear to be traumatic but of course when you're very little things can be very traumatic which which may well appear minor to i mean my, my friend rebecca who i interviewed in the um the final chapter which is about um death because my mum died not not long before uh I, I started writing the book and rebecca lost uh, her dad when she was six and her sister was murdered when she was in her early 30s and she made a play all about her, her sister, her reaction to her, her sister's murder. Um, and it's, it's a great piece of work called Sometimes I Laugh Like My Sister. And when she walked off from the first day of doing it, she looked at the director, a friend of hers called Martin. She went, I now know who it was who was speaking up there. And Martin looked a bit confused, like, well, it, well, it's you, it's your story. And she went, the person who was speaking was the six-year-old that no one listened to when her father died. And, you know, and f- hearing those stories... Um, you know, it became... I mean, it was really... It became more and more difficult to write because I realised that there was, initially it was kind of quite, you know, it was going to just, it was going to be hopefully a fun book with some ideas of psychology and neuroscience in it. And then you start, sometimes you talk to your friends, I'm sure you've had this, you're talking to your friends and you've known them for years. And one day their secret comes out. And I don't mean that isn't a bad secret or something they've deliberately, it's just the thing that they never felt they could share uh when you're in your various different social situations and then suddenly you're talking through that and you and you realize what i've really realized in particular since writing the book and going off and doing events and i think i kind of knew it to an extent but it's only since is when i do gigs about it or when i do talks or whatever the number of people who have a story that they want to share afterwards and never in an intrusive manner it's always do you mind or can i just you know and you realise that, that, again, especially if, if you're a stranger, which can happen as a performer, you can become a stranger who is briefly trusted after a show. And you just find out how many things people carry with them. And so, yeah, was, the book was a huge education for me, in particular afterwards, you know, and, and travelling around with it. And it's called I'm a Joke and So Are You, and that's the perfect title for it. And you're right, I, I did exactly that with you, in that because I read the book and I was like, this is, this is everything to me, then I, I kind of because of the illness I've always felt like I'm batting up to people I've never owned the illness and it gave me a little bit more confidence to go okay no this is me you know whatever I can kind of talk about and write about a bit more but then I gave you some other kind of uh, stuff that I wrote because I've written anonymously um, which I'm not going to admit to but um, I kind of sent that your way and go look don't need to react to it but thank you for writing the book this is this is kind of the story and everything and have you found that then that people are a little bit more open with you because they've seen you on the stage, they read the book, they know you from radio and TV. So do you get more honesty out of people for those reasons? I don't know, but I mean, I, th- I think like my friend Josie and, and a few other people that we, there's not a huge disparity apart from volume and speed in terms of the difference between us on stage and off. And because we both, you know, Josie and me play to quite small audiences, they're quite kind of niche art centre audiences. And I think very often there will be a few commonly held things that you have with the audience. Yeah, they come to you because there's certain things you've done. So I think 
also by being I'm, I'm always around after a gig you know very rarely unless I have to get the last train I have to dash I'm normally around and I'm very happy to talk to people because like I was saying at the beginning there's so many people have a story that they they, they want to tell and it's so interesting so but I have found it's been very interesting I've never had it in an intrusive way from anyone I've, I've always sometimes it's been sometimes you are told stories and you just you, you're knocked flat by what people have to to go through you know, and you know, I was, I was talking to my friend Rebecca again the other day, and I and I do think you know with her, and, and then we did a show the other day on on the on the shambles show that I've been doing during lockdown. Um, we did a show about um, mental health and depression and also grieving um, with a guy called James Withy, who's just written a book called uh, How to Tell Depression to Piss Off, um, and also Rebecca, and uh, both of them lost a parent when they when they were very young. And beforehand, I said to people, "Here's an email address. You can send an email. We won't say anyone's names if you've got questions." And someone who regularly comes to my gigs just sent me this thing of what's been going on in their life in the last few years. And I knew they'd had some, but it's that bit where you go, well, that's that's a lot. to do. And I think the more that we're able to realise how much people are up against and also to be reasonably open to, you know, it's, it's that I, I, that moment that I, I think of my friend Helen Crimmins, um, who we did a, a benefit a few years ago for um, her partner, Barry Crimmins, was a great, really great American comic, real great activist comic. And uh, and Helen um, had cancer and uh, he and it was they live in America. So, wow, it's insurance is really difficult and stuff like that. Mm. And so we did a benefit, Billy Bragg and Charlotte Church and Grace Petrie and Alexi Sell and a load of us. And I said to Helen beforehand, do you want me to read out anything or do you want to record a message or anything like that for, for, for the audience? And she just sent me a, a thing that she'd written out and it was just about her experience at that point. This was the second time that she'd had cancer. And one of the things that stuck with me was... She just said, sometimes when you ask how I am, you don't have to say anything more after that. And I think that's one of the hardest things for all of us is when we do have friends, uh, relatives, whatever it might be, and when they have problems and they have things they want to share, is I think it's a very human thing to want to have a solution. And that's one of the hardest things. You're desperate to say, oh, don't worry, I had a friend with that. Actually, and they're fine now. Or, or I've, I've heard, you know, nutmeg's very good for that. Or whatever it might be. You know, we've all got this. And it's a hard thing. But that bit of going, OK, I'm, and I'm trying to learn it. As you can tell, I'm overly verbose. Um, uh, but that bit of going, OK, I'll just I'll stand back now. And I'll and just say it, you know, and, that, and that's the thing. And I think that is such an important part of it as well. It's not always easy. And sometimes you fail. Sometimes we all fail as well. I completely agree with that because I've had that all the way through my life of oh you've got this have you tried and chances are it's something that's you know a little bit hokey bless it but it's it's i've always taken it in the context people just want to help they want mm. they they've heard you're going through something how can i take that away from you so you, you must feel some degree of a not necessarily responsibility but it must be interesting the dynamic that you've got with people that they are so open with you about various different things that have gone in their life so is it only recently you've you've learned to kind of sort of step back and go, I understand, or have in, in the past have you tried to create some sort of solution or something like that? What responsibility oh, sure. do you feel? Sure, yeah, in the past, you know, or we'll just turn it into a joke or whatever. I mean it's all it's it's so much of it comes that some people, you know, seem to arrive into adulthood almost fully formed. Some of us it takes absolutely ages. I think, you know, an enormous change for me would have been I mean, my stand up changed hugely and the art and the stuff I was making changed hugely around the same time as uh, as my son was born as well. And I think, you know, already I was changing things and then suddenly you have that and then suddenly you have that responsibility. And sometimes that also brings into focus your you know, your childhood and the things, you know, and, and so so I think in the last 
last 12, 13 years has, has been where I feel like that was the bit where I, I, I've certainly never become an adult, but it might become where I've become more kind of fully formed. And it does worry me because I mean, one of the first things that worries me and has always worried me is I'm tremendously worried about upsetting people. I can't stand that. And, you know, which perhaps as a comedian is, 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 uh, is not a good thing, but I don't like it. I don't, I really have to be able to justify if I've made someone upset or things like that. So that, that worries me as well, because sometimes if people do share something with you, you think I can't give anything or I can't. And then there's the other problem, which can happen sometimes, which is sometimes if someone sees you too much as if you're a friend, when in fact you're someone who's stood on a stage and told some stories and you sometimes have to say, I'm not the person to offer the solution. I'm not the person you should be speaking to. I, I'm yeah. And that, and that, that can be problematic. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that because of the position that I'm in, you do get caught off in uh, vulnerability that comes your way in one form or another. And you haven't got the solutions. You're not necessarily a professional and you, you want to help as much as possible and signpost things, but it can be tricky to get that balance. And for someone like you, you can tell with you that you are very conscientious on stage and um, I'm going to digress slightly for a moment, but you tell a poem in your stage about uh, your son and building a den. Um, and I think that's relevant to the things we're going to be talking about in a minute of mindfulness and that just experiencing life and taking it on. Um, have you obviously not at the moment because we're in lockdown? So the question is, firstly, how has lockdown treated you? What what what's been your experience of that? I've been very fortunate so far. I've been fortunate in though I've had friends who've who've, who've lost people. Uh, in terms of my family, everyone's been well, and uh, I am. It's one of those things, isn't it? Which is lockdown, as everyone's has realised, is, is really focuses you on what what you've got on on noticing you know the fact is i don't have a very big garden it's a you know it's, it's just got, got got a small garden but it's big enough for my son to put on his boxing gloves and me to put on some pads and to do a bit of boxing and to, and just space it means i've got somewhere where i can sit and the sky is above me and there's not you know and all of those so i i've, I've been doing all right and i think also because with josie and my friend trent and various others i've been making a show every single morning so it's given some shape and form and that's that's generally how i react to to, to you know strange things is what can I make what can I make which might be descending into busyness I don't know but it is that thing which is rather than spend too much time contemplating without doing anything I just go right let's make some stuff let's create some kind of connection with this let's see what 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 we can do with it so I, I've, I've been lucky I, I think and that leads me into the next question which was on my list is you've been doing stay-at-home festival um mm. which has been incredible yeah you've had so many guests that I can't even begin to say off the top of my head because it's just been so so many um, so who conceived that and, and how did it all come about? And can you just give an idea of what's going on with that? Well, it was basically that, we, again, with, with my mate Trent, once we knew this was going to happen, we were like, ah, we need to kind of let's see if we can make something. Let, let's see, because I knew that in terms of all the gigs that I was doing that were cancelled and also Josie's gigs and various things that Trent and I were working on, that for a lot of the people who come to a lot of different gigs, you know, a lot, a lot of the music gigs that people go to, comedy gigs, theatre gigs, whatever, they can mean quite a lot to people. That really is an important part. Of the, in, in the same way as, you know, one of the sad things that happened right at the beginning of of, uh, of, of, of pretty much the lockdown or not far off was um, Tim Britt Taylor dying. And, and Tim Britt Taylor, I'd done an event with him at the end of January and... Uh, it was all, all three goodies, 50th anniversary celebration, and it was a great night. And the reason I mention that is the Slapstick Festival, which I do every January, that connection that people have 
when all of those people who sometimes, if they're with their friends, are seen as geeky and nerdy for the intensity of love they might have for Laurel and Hardy or Buster Keaton or the goodies or whatever it might be, everyone's in a room together. And I know how much that, that means to people, that you can turn to someone and suddenly talk about something which for most audiences would be quite an arcane thing to talk about. And... Um, so I started thinking, right, we need to let, let's work out a way that we can do these kind of connection things. And then we did a we did a dummy run, which was like reasonably disastrous in terms of oh the technology doesn't work, but Trent's brilliant. So very quickly went, I need to buy this and plug this in and plug this in. <laughs> and so within three days we were able to, and I'd already sent out emails. I mean, literally emails and texts to pretty much everyone that I knew and people just leapt straight back. You're like, Mark Gatiss was the first person just to reply. I went, yep, of course, I'm not doing anything else. Very happy to. And lots of people were very generous with their time and just went, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds great. And it was lovely because some of the acts don't ever use that form of technology. So, you know, there was a beautiful moment. I think the third show we had Joe Brand on and and she can't get the technology working. And so Trent is explaining how how, how it works because she never uses any of this stuff. So it's had to be downloaded. And it was, it was like watching a movie where David Niven is a pilot in World War II and he's being talked down because you know the wheels aren't on his plane and it was this beautiful thing and then at 10 o'clock on the dot everything connected you know joe understood oh yeah there i need to do that and then we had a you know a lovely chat so it's been very and it's lovely also seeing what sometimes what people have done with their hair during this particular time you know i've seen that a lot of men of my age who are still, still able to have gone mohican never had one uh, the lockdown's going to be for a while. It'll have grown out by then. No one will know. And then you kind of Skype them and you go, oh, yeah, that looks really good. Oh, yeah, just thought I'd do that. Yeah. Well, how's your hair been? Have you have you been tempted to do the buzz cut? Uh, receding, receding. But I did just say that uh, to my wife, I said, I think we need to get some clippers. I think it's going to be necessary. <laughs> yep. That's where I'm quite lucky because mine, it tends to be all right lengthwise on whatever way. So I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm just going to leave it. And I, I'm almost tempted to kind of go for that full kind of, mullet look if i can get it just not well also you're all right because when you've got hair the trouble is once you've lost your hair like i have and you've still got lumps of it if you sleep in an odd way what previously just looked eccentric now looks like some kind of elaborate comb over <laughs> so you also I mean, it's what i always used to say to the barber in the in, in the in the last 10 years i'll always say to whatever barber i go to at no point try and cut this in a way that i'm trying to conceal that genetically the inheritance is now occurring and the recession has begun I like the fact that we can get a, the lockdown comb over. It almost is <laughs> yeah. like it's today's style. It's what we all need to be doing. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few questions because, I mean, I knew that when I spoke to you, I knew that I could just keep going and going and going. So I'm going to bring in some of the themes that I want to speak about as well because I want to hear more about the stay-at-home festival. Um, but I was currently speaking to you on Skype and I can see your room and it is perfectly Robin in. So I was hoping it would be. <laughs> How many books do you think you've got in that room? Do you know what I've got? All I can say is that last year, I think it was last year, I gave away about a thousand books wow. and it made no difference whatsoever to the look of uh, where I live. Because it's just it's a terraced house and it is just stacked up. And, and I can't. And the weird thing is, I think they breed because I haven't really bought any. Apart from my mate, Jeff Towns, who runs a fantastic. He's, he's got a mobile bookshop and an old mobile library. And he has all of these weird things uh, that he puts up for sale. And I just keep buying little strange pamphlets from the uh, from the 1930s and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I've got no idea. I, I mean, I just, yeah, the huge, there was like a thousand books that went to Leicester Prison. And I looked and I went, no one would have a clue. No one then goes, doesn't, doesn't the house look neat? They don't realise it just means that the tide of books goes just it's a little bit further out than it used to be. I like the fact that uh, you said they're breeding because I'm now thinking book gremlins. That's, that's yeah. totally going to be a thing. But you, you gave them to Leicester Prison. 
yeah, I've got a mate at Leicester Prison, and uh, who who uh, I don't know if, if that if that job's you know of course for so many people, but um, and and I went there a while ago and uh, and did a talk, which was really interesting as well because I went in there and and just in the little library, and when I saw the library, I thought, well, actually, I've got loads of books, so so you know that probably go go to the library there, and it's such an interesting thing going to a place like that where like just before I left, there was suddenly going to be a lockdown in the prison. There was it was only a minor thing. It wasn't like one of those major moments you see in a Hollywood movie where then <laughs> I'm trapped as a hostage. Just something went slightly wrong. And and there was this guy there and he he said, oh, oh, please, can I just read Robin my poem? And he just really wanted to read this poem. And and it was such an interesting moment to see, you know, here, here's this guy who and, and, it, and it was and it wasn't a bad poem. You know, it's one of those ones where you, you wouldn't necessarily it's W. H. Auden. It's yeah, no, it's not W. H. Auden, but it's also not a bad poem. It's a good poem. And it's a poem that came from heart, and it was a really interesting thing to have that experience. Well, that's that's brilliant. That that fits totally in with the the other work that I do. I love the fact that you're giving them to a prison. Um, right, I'm going to quickly jump on the first question because again, I knew I could speak to you for hours. So, if you used to have a moment of comfort. You're settling. In, I know you don't do it because you're constantly on 100 miles an hour. But if you was to settle down for a night, how would you set up your comfort surroundings? Have you got lighting? Have you got nice little compliments that you do? Do you know I do nothing like that? I really do. Just uh, I've got an old sofa and I sink into that sofa, and I've then got that that stack of DVDs that you bought with good intentions, and I kind of shuffle through those, and then I start one film and decide no, I don't fancy that, and then I start a second film, and then about the third film, then it kicks in. But I've got no, you know, it's it's nice to have. It reminds me almost like one of the comfort things I think is is, is when my son was was first born, and and I would uh, for some period of the night when my my wife. Did to get sleep i would kind of set up this table and uh, so i'd have him in one arm and then on this table there was a, a a bottle of red wine and there'd be like snacks like maltesers and stuff like that and some peanuts and i'd put in a documentary that would be some part of research for whatever my next stand-up show was and i would sit there so one arm with him and one arm that would have you know i, I didn't drink the whole bottle by the way i'd like <laughs> to make that clear now you know but just and i would just sit there having the, in some ways it was one of the most creative times that i had because I had this this five hours that apart from the little moments when he'd wake up, he was so small then, I'd just be focused, just making notes. And it, and it had a lovely comfort to it, actually, that. That's reassuring because, as you know, I'm, I'm expecting my first in September. And I've just, I just thought, you know, I'm going to write off the next few months of not being able to do a single thing. So the fact that you have been productive at that. And also I'm honoured as well because the reason we connected years ago is because you watched the film The Culture High. And then I mm. saw you tweeting Rufus Hound, and that's how we kind of did our initial introduction. So the fact that you are so selective on your film, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, no, it's, it, that's one of those great things. Social media, it's very easy to see the terrible things, and there are things in terms of you know dogmatism and in terms of refining people's bigotry. But my general experience from it has been exactly things like that. You end up, you know, um, Laura Kidd, who uh, you, you saw last time at Canterbury when she was She yeah. Makes War, and now now she's uh, does as a, a new incarnation pen friend and again that happened i saw this thing it was called stargazing i listened to the song i tweeted about the song and then we started chatting and the next thing is you go oh, well, let's do a gig together or let's you know and, and those things i think are the best sides of social media is you know people who are using it to kind of sow insurrection and hatred and create division you go wow man you're missing such a you're missing a dopamine hit and you're missing a much better trick which is actually you can end up having really interesting conversations and building things with people which is why you've always been so cool because you, you've literally been so accessible and nice to people. You really are. Um, so on that theme then, this might be a bit difficult for you, but have you got a comfort film that you'd like to put on? If you're going to kind of zone out, what would it be? 
It's hard that one because I was thinking there's, there's a lot. There's certain films that I go back to a lot, but I think the film that I would have is um, there's a film called The Fallen Idol, and it's odd. It's one of those films which I think a lot of people don't know about, even though the, many people have heard of The Third Man, which is uh, the director Carol Reed's uh, film, which has has a, a small part with Orson Welles, but a very memorable part as Harry Lyme, and that's based on a Graham Greene uh, story and. There was another story Graham Greene wrote that was uh, called The Basement Room, and this is turned into a film called The Fallen Idol, around the same time, 1948. And I, I think it's a film that I, I watch at least once a year. It will be between that and A Matter of Life and Death, uh, with beautiful film with, with Kim Hunter and, and David Niven. And both of them, I think, have various things in them. One is the fact they do have a connection uh, with my dad. They're the kind of films we watch together. Uh, and the other is that both films have a tremendous beauty to them and, and uh, are, I mean, Matter of Life and Death is about love. If people have never seen it, it starts off, David Niven is in a bomber plane. Uh, he's, he's flying back to England, but it's, it's on fire and he's not going to make it. And he's talking to the American person who's, who's there at the airbase. What's your name? June, June, I love you, June. I love you, June, because your life and I'm leaving it. Your life and I'm leaving it. Now that, I mean, just the beauty of that. But then The Fallen Idol is a very beautiful film because it's about it's about a young boy who's been brought up in an embassy. So he's one of those ones slightly detached from his parents. His mother's been ill and he has a very strong relationship with the butler played by Ralph Richardson. And it's a film about kind of betrayal and sadness and trust. And it just, the the, the child in it, Bobby Henry, it's an amazing performance. Carol Reed was brilliant at directing actors, at child actors. He made Oliver, uh, you know, uh, Jack Wilde and, and Mark Lester. But it's just, it's a very beautiful, it, it shows a, a, a post-war London, uh, London Zoo, all these little streets, all of these little alleys. It's about friendship. It's about, uh, you know, bonds of trust. And it's just beautiful. And I just, I love it for so many different reasons. I love, the, I love watching films and going, I know that street. And that's not there anymore. And that's, you know, that, that, like, like the, the, the little town that I live in, in Hertfordshire, I saw Adam Curtis put up a film made in the 1970s about a gang of Hell's Angels coming to visit this town, right? And it's such a funny film. And it's like you know, they end up kind of trying to kick in a narrow boat. And then they brought a little portable TV so they can watch Doctor Who. And then there's a bit where they go, they've decided to have a fight with the police. And then it goes, they've changed their mind about having a fight with the police. And it's just filled with it. And, and, and then there's you know, one of the characters called something like Cross Eye. Cross-Eye is called Cross-Eye because he had both of his eyes punched out in a fight and they had to be placed back in. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. But what I loved about watching that film is it's the town I live in. I was going, oh, look, that Indian takeaway used to be a little Italian... Re you know, I love all those bits, those little bits of connection, of time, of kind of the psychogeography of nostalgic films. So I love Fallen Idol for many... And Ralph Richardson in it, there is a scene of heartbreak in a cake shop, which is one of the finest scenes of heartbreak you'll, you, will, you will ever see. Okay, that's that's a challenge. I, I must admit, I've not actually seen it. I know the film, but I've not seen it yet. So beautiful, and I really—it's one of what—it's it's probably that I bug people most about that. And there's a film by Chris Pettit from 1979 called Radio On, which has a great a lot of craft work in it and stuff like that. And I've been recommending that a lot recently, of course, because uh, um, Florian Schneider from Craftwork um, recently died, and I was saying this is watch this film. What it's a British road movie set on the West Way on a trip down to Bristol with an incredible soundtrack of. Bowie and Craftwork and loads of other greats. And that's my other film that I bang on about too much. Wow. And have you got a box set that in that same theme that you would 
put on for just zoning out. Oh, I see. That's a tough one because the one that's next to my TV at the moment is Alan Bleasdale's GBH, which is... Oh, yeah. I remember it, yeah. Oh, man, it's a masterpiece. But I think the one that I most go back to is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I think Alec Guinness's Smiley. Uh, I, I think just the whole world that sets up, the strange, devious world of these um, pampered... Uh, sexually ambiguous but damaged public school boys who are running the country uh you know secret it's just such a it's an intro and it's so slow it's i i like things that are so, the older i've got the more i don't like things that make sense too too immediately so a lot of hollywood movies i go yeah i, I realize what's going to happen here there are ah, there's the twist because this is that stage of the movie or whatever mm. i like those films where at the end of it you go i'm not entirely sure what was going on there but that was fun and also, I think that if if you only know Alec Guinness for Obi Wan Kenobi, you're missing out because this obviously he's a well known actor, but there's so much more to him than that because he was just yeah. he was so different for his time. He was far more subtle, I think, as you just said. A lot of times, things are too signposted these days, but he he just he knew how to play it so calm and so collected. I love it. John le Carre talks about the fact that they spent a whole day trying to work out what kind of glasses George Smiley would have. And they spent the whole day looking at different glasses. And then eventually the glasses that Alec Guinness chose were exactly the same as the ones that John le Carre wore. Oh, really? You know, just the interesting little things going on all the time. Are you a Lady Killers fan? Would you say? Oh, love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I love oh, those Ealing films, I think, are, are masterpieces. That period um, of kind of mid-40s. Hue and Cry is another of my favourites because you've got Alice. Because I love Alistair Sim. And, of course, in uh, Lady Killers, um, Alec Guinness plays Alistair Sim. Of yeah, course, he's got yeah, the teeth yeah. there. He's being Alistair Sim. Yes. I never even, I didn't put that together. Oh, my word. I can't believe it. Oh, it took me till I was in my late 30s. Don't worry. And you're not there yet. So uh, I wouldn't worry about it. You haven't yet reached the time where you realise Alec Guinness is Alistair Sim. You're <laughs> yeah. a young man. Well, I don't know about that. I turned 40 <laughs> last month and, yeah, my parents are 40. I'm not. I can't believe it. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so the reason that I've conceived those questions is because comfort is obviously quite important to people with chronic illness because you have to set yourself up. Last prime example, last night was a massive migraine, so I just started saying trash on the background that I knew that I could focus on but not focus on. So it's that kind of disassociation but association. Um, so I think you've answered those perfectly because you get it. I knew the fact that you was going to have something brilliantly kind of out there and not even that out there i was expecting something a little bit more obscure i must admit so the fact that you have got stuff that i vaguely recognize yeah do you know what there's that moment where i go do i say tarkovsky's stalker <laughs> yes, and then so. i actually just thought what is the film that i've most seen because i think whenever you do any of those kind of things where you're given a q a there is a temptation to put what you would like to imagine people think you want watch yeah. most then you go because i mean you know it not far in third place would probably be uh the original version of robocop really which i think i think is a great film i think uh um paul verhoven I, I i think it's it's i remember ken russell when he was on the south bank show end of the year thing and uh and him saying to melvin bragg that his favorite film of the year was robocop and melvin bragg kind of go but surely ken and he went no it's my favorite film of the year and if you watch it it is just there's so many ideas in it so much satire in it so much pull yeah you know, all of those things Om omnicore has gone into areas that previously weren't considered to be profitable hospitals prisons Law in you go, yep, you know, and and the spoof adverts in it. I, I think it's a really great, you know, to you know, to some extent, a re retelling of Frankenstein as well. So much yeah. going on in that movie. And I agree with you as well because I'm I'm a fan of Starship Troopers because I think that does mm. the same. I think that that predicted a lot of the modern day world. You know, those yeah. do you want to know more, click and 
yeah, that's just everything. We know that now. If we want to know more, we click the link. But back then, in the in the late nineties, that was you know it still wasn't heard of. And the fact that it's you know it's a satirical take on tribalism and battles and things like that. So I completely agree with you that he's he's underrated as a as a storyteller. But I just never would have had you down as Robocop. Oh, I loved it. You know what? I went to see it and I didn't think I'd like it. I was at eighteen when it first came out, and I was with my friends Carolyn and Heather, and and it was like, oh well, let's go and see it. And then I went to see it again three weeks later. I saw it three times on the big screen, which is oh, as many wow. times I've seen Gandhi on the big screen, which is a good double bill, Gandhi and <laughs> Robocop. But you've got to try and watch a Gandhi second if you want to get the right kind of sense of peace. But it's um yeah, I just thought it was magnificent and it and it was not at all what i imagined it, it, it was going to be and I, i'd never i love those certain films where you sit down and maybe it's just it's the first bar of music it's the first shot and you just go i'm going to love this film yeah and it, and it doesn't you know there's a lot of there's a great film called the unbelievable truth by a director called hal hartley and i remember again sitting watching that and just the moment the first panel went up the first bit of the uh, I was like yep I'm going to love this and it became one of my favourite films So I, I associate Robocop as well with uh, The Running Man which I, I love the film I don't necessarily admit it because I don't think it's got the the uh, foresight that Robocop had in some ways but um, yeah I totally associate the two together so I'm now going to take you to looking forward so you know we've been in lockdown I'd imagine most of us are going stir crazy to one degree or another so if there's a live event that you would look forward to it could be anything you want what would that live event be well it was the one that i was looking forward to and i think it will happen again next year i think it probably would be going to see uh nick cave and the bad seeds which was what i was going to go and in fact i think it would have been uh on the day we're recording this uh it would have been yeah saturday this uh, two days later in two days time i'd have been going to see nick cave and the bad seeds i just find that you know going to see an artist like that and it's amazing how enormous he's become now he's an arena filler you know and uh and, and an icon and a mainstream figure but when you go and see him there is no one uh i don't i can't think of any other performer of all the performers that i love watching who that level of connection occurs even the last time i saw no actually not the last time i saw him time before last i saw him was at nottingham arena i went up to nottingham just to see him and it just he connected across you know six thousand people and people were, you know, I've often said this, but you would watch someone was pogoing and then they were weeping and then they were pogoing again. And then, and they were the kind of, I remember my wife turning to me and saying, um, wow, everyone's really nice here, aren't they? And I went, yeah, they're readers. You know what? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. what I like. The, a Nick Cave audience seems to be the kind of people, they like a library that stays open late and they also like having a drink as well. You know, like me, they're, they're one of their favourite places. Beer Wolf Books, which is down in Falmouth in Cornwall, which is, it's a bookshop and it's a pub and it's the most dangerous of things because you buy some books you buy a pint and then you buy a second pint and then those books that you weren't going to buy you've lost all of your ability to say no to them (laughs) so yeah it's a great place and i agree i think that um i I think nick cave has definitely had not a rebirth because you know he's, he's been doing what he's doing but people like my generation we've known him for red right hand but then all of a sudden you know there's all these other things that suddenly open up and the fact that he's been so eloquent about what happened with his son and things like that it's just really garnered so much respect for him as a performer and a character um so hopefully you think you will still get back there that that performance well i've still you know i I think as far as i know the tickets are for whenever it's going to be uh um you know whenever it's going to be rescheduled but it was and and also i was just fascinated to see how he was going to do ghosting because ghost you know the lot i've got to admit skeleton tree i was kind of thrown by the fact that was his first arena tour 
because that is a song, you know, an album that is is, is very delicate album, and and of course whether even though it was half finished by you know the 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 that was halfway through I think when when his son um, Arthur died, so I think people do project onto it things that happen that might not, but of course Ghostine, well that is an album that came after that and it is an album which is dealing with you know the, again like the a lot of great art a lot of nick cave feels like a rorschach test you know you look at it and people will see different things in it um but yeah it was just uh, I, I was really fascinated to see because ghost team is the longest time it took me to get into a nick cave album it took me you know quite a few listens before i was going on and then I was in the right level of darkness, in actual physical darkness, properly dark, <laughs> properly focused on the music, and I went, "Yeah, now the spell works." Mm. It's not a spell that you know. Some people it captured immediately. Me, eventually, I went, "Yeah, now I'm enveloped in it." So, you, so you mentioned that you are a massive fan of bookshops, to say the least. Uh, you just mentioned that one that is just it sounds fascinating—a pub and a bookshop. As you said, how dangerous is that? <laughs> so. Have you got a bucket list destination, somewhere that you've not been yet? And it could be universal. And I know you do a lot of things with, with Cosmic Shambles and obviously being a friend of Brian Cox, you're constantly trying to understand how the universe is working. So where would that bucket list destination be? I would, I would like to go to as near as you could the event horizon of a black hole. You know, why not? It just feels... And you know what? If it does go wrong... What a way to go. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, if, if I go, no, 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 keep the brakes on. Brian, what are you doing? Oh, you know, and as we're spaghettified. And, but I, I just think there are those certain things in, in the universe which are so enigmatic and strange to our kind of earthly minds. And the idea of being able to get in any way close to being able to view a black hole. So I'm, I'm going to stick that in as my, uh, my destiny, my death and my bucket list. And also, if you're going to have a bucket list destination, why not make it that final destination? That's perfect. And also you put on, because you've been very uh, good to me because you put your answers down to me on paper, but you also said, well, potentially a moon of Jupiter. Yeah, 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 no, I'm quite keen on that as well. Let's just take a pause for a moment. Don't forget this is a type of reflection and nice things and just a bit of calm and a bit of breathing. Don't forget to breathe and go to the calm zone if you need help. Campaign against living miserably, they're there to give you any help that you need. If you need the helpline, 0800 585858. The web chat is available. And please, if you can, if you're enjoying this episode, give them a little bit of money. Donate to them if you can. Thank you very much. Just go chat to Robin Inns again. There must be a place in your mind that if you was to go for a little bit of a stroll, a little bit of a, a kind of a, a mindfulness exercise, where would that be? Where would you take yourself? Well, do you know what? There was. I remember when we first talked about this, I gave you a different answer. But actually, last night, I started to try and remember every room that I stayed in and every walk that I had on the tour that I did with Brian Cox last year. So last year, we, you know, we did. It was a really long tour. I mean, it wasn't like in a, in a horrible way. It was just fun. It was like we we did nearly a hundred. In fact, last year, including radio shows and other events, I think we did like one hundred and fifteen gigs together. But we, you know, we travelled the world. And it perhaps it might be just because of them. I, th- I think some people I've spoken to have found that they're having their dreams are going further than they used to go. And I think that might be because when you have uh, restricted space to actually physically walk in, sometimes you and and I just found myself as I was not quite hypnagogic, going, I wonder if I can remember the first room when we arrived in where was it Wilmington? Uh, and so I started off in Wilmington. 
And then I thought, right, then we go off to, uh, where was it after that? Then, then, then we were in Philadelphia. I thought, oh, yeah, I remember that room. There was a problem with the first room, so I had to move rooms. And then I went to that art gallery. So I walked up to the Philadelphia. It has an amazing art gallery with a huge uh, Marcel Duchamp collection, amongst many other things. So I kind of wandered around there. And then I wandered onto the hill where we did boxing practice. So on that one, I think I've now, I'm going to get into the habit of walking through last year's tour because it also is, I, was, I started from where we were exactly last year. And I thought, and I'm always interested, you know, sometimes I walk through, I mean, it's strange when I first had insomnia, which I unfortunately don't suffer from, from very badly at all now, but um, partly I suppose, because there's no, the deadlines have gone, but it, it has definitely decreased a great deal. Um, I would return to some of the old schools that I went to, which of course I never enjoyed going to school, but I would just walk down those corridors, which of course had no fear because no one was in them anymore. I was the only one walking through these ghost corridors. And that interesting bit when you see in your memory how clearly sometimes you can remember colour and then other times you think, I can't remember what that floor looked like at all. I can't remember. And normally I'm good at remembering floors because I spent most of my childhood looking down at the floor. So, you know, that's the one bit that I remember better than anything else. Can you most, because um, that, that really fascinated me when you did say about school buildings, is that I mean I wasn't at school very much because of health, so you know they they were a bit of a kind of enigma to me. But I can still remember the smells, like those dinner hall smells, the even the drinking fountain smells. So do, do you bring back that as well? Can you do you, when you're thinking about all the kind of different places you've been? Can you remember smell? Do you know that's weird? I don't normally do that, and that those smell is. I mean, I think it's true for everyone. It is the the quickest Proustian rush is when you know when, you know that moment where you walk past something and it just goes in very briefly, and you know it almost makes the right neurons far up, but it doesn't quite reach the accessible brain. So you know there's a memory in there, but you can't quite get it, and you know that smell's kicked off. But but the moment you said that, I just thought of what I see as the smell of hairy mash. <laughs> which is that kind of you know, you know the mash that had kind of just those little hairs that popped out and that that seems to me to be a very distinct smell i think that and chocolate custard are probably the two that i can most quickly uh you know what a relief what a relief when it was chocolate custard day <laughs> can you remember a smell of a water fountain though because I, I think it was just different to any other water ever it was almost like this chemical smell but not quite i don't, I don't know it's hard to put into words yeah, it feels, I think the best way if you want to get that back today is the best thing is just slightly dampen a pan and place your head in that. Uh, I reckon that might work. I, I can't be certain of that, but don't put it in too far or you end up as an outtake from Carry On uh, Again Doctor, I think. I love so, that. Yeah. If, if, I'm, if I'm going to do any kind of promotional clips for this, put your head in a pan. <laughs> that's going to be it <laughs> yeah make sure it's not on the hob i also like to make that right. clear there's so many mixed messages there make sure you've taken the pan take the pan into you know a cool area and see if you can replicate the smell of drinking fountains <laughs> right on that note well it's a perfect segue actually because i mean this is not quite nostalgic and i found that quite fascinating what you just said there of recounting experience because you know I, I do that quite a lot because you know people with chronic illness don't necessarily have huge amounts of experience but the ones we have, we can really kind of grip onto and, and sort of savour. Um, so nostalgia is hugely important to me. And I'm always doing this. I'm getting caught in YouTube black holes of Googling old adverts. Uh, just today, I was watching Fred Dibner. Fred Dibner, just all the way through from his early stuff to his modern stuff. And I was just in my element and my other half's like, what the hell are you watching? So on that note, and I've already pointed out to you the big yellow teapot behind me, what would be your favourite childhood toy? I think it was. Uh, I had this one action man, which uh, I, it was a action, a blonde action man with beard, and 
it was just no other action. You know, sometimes I would get another one, and I was never interested. What I used to do, I was very much a torturer of and smasher of of things. I was always intrigued by what would happen if you melted the head of a doll. <laughs> uh, all of those your toy cars. I, was, I mean, it might be it, it, in a Freudian way we could make the link, as of course it, it, in, in the book I, I talk about being in in uh, in, a, in a car crash when I was very small that I thought was my fault. I don't know whether that links or not, but I was fascinated in that sense of damage. So so there's a scene in. Um, uh, have you ever seen Female Trouble, the John Waters movie? No, it's, it's, I'm if, always really worried when you come up with references. I'm like, oh, I want to know this. I want to know this. No, do you know what? It's exactly what Josie said. Jos- Josie said to me this morning, she said, do you ever feel lonely that no one seems to know any of your references? <laughs> and that was after I mentioned, you know, the mainstream film, uh, The Whisperer, starring Dame Edith Evans. What, that's a no as well? Anyway, so I... <laughs> no, no one would remember that. Um, but it was... Um, it's an interesting film, but no one does. But Female Trouble has this moment. It's, it's another film starring Divine. And uh, Divine's daughter, who uh, has been brought up very badly, played brilliantly by Mink Stoll. How I love the names that John Waters' actors had. Mink Stoll um, plays Car Crash, the game that we often used to play with toy cars, but with the whole of a windshield of a car and sits wow. behind the remnants of a windshield covering herself in ketchup. And, so, and I remember seeing that when I was about 18 years old at the Scala Cinema and going... <gasps> That's the scale of of that I really wanted to play at. So I was always, but the action man that I had this little, and, and I used to, I tried to shave him as well. I remember getting a bic razor that my mum must have had a little, little, and I thought, I wonder if he can shave his beard off. And of course, all you do is expose glue. That's all you do. You then just end up with a glue faced action man. And I never burnt that action man. I never did anything like like that to that action man. But the other action man I got went through many tortures. Some fingers were removed. Frankly, there's a reason that my sisters used to say you're going to grow up and be a serial killer. They they used to they used to say I don't know what's wrong with you, Rob, because I used to be so fascinated with things like that. You know, lonely child who disfigures his toys. What is his destiny? I'm I'm pretty sure the film Toy Story has covered you in that because there, there are scenes of like just mutilation. You you just described that perfectly. Oh, I love that. It's in Toy Story 1, isn't it? Those amazing macabre toys that the boy next door has made. Yeah. Yeah. So were you that kid then? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you you found your son's toys? Have you managed to play with them at all? Because I found with modern day toys, they just, they're not the same. They they don't live up to my generation. I think there's an interesting thing, which is everything has become... I mean, I'm old enough that I was before that level of mass marketing where every single show has its spin-off dolls. So, so you know, I, I was too old for He-Man toys and that kind of stuff and all of those things that existed. So I think there is a difference. I remember talking about this with Alan Moore, actually, where, you know, he had a limited number of toys that you would then redecorate to make whatever your latest favourite fad was. Right. Um, and I think that was very much what I kind of felt as well. Whereas now you go, you're a big fan of Doctor Who. Here's a Doctor Who toy. Mm-hmm. You like Toy Story. Here's a Toy Story toy. So I think there's, I think there is a difference in that. Um, so we've, you know, generally done a lot of reading together, but not as much kind of uh, play. And and also, I, I like the games. I love playing games like Uno and exploding mm. kittens i love the inventiveness of these very simple card games that have gone on so so i think that's in terms of our experience of play it's predominantly in that kind of area that that leads perfectly to this question then so have you got a favorite game board game card game i do love playing uno with him i think uno is 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 uh, and quite often we play all, all, all three of us play together so i think uno is quite high i think as a kid it probably was Oh, let me think. 
I'm trying to think. The ones... We had a very strange game that was called something like... Oh, God, I can't remember what it was called. It was about flying around the world. You had a little plane and and you would fly around the world you'd have to like connect various different uh goods actually that wasn't my favorite one i'm remembering it now it was awful god that was boring why do we play that so often i think cluedo i think again here's a boy who's perpetually murdering his action man in different ways so take me to the conservatory and give me the spanner i think that you would and this is going to be possibly the the weirdest compliment you've ever had but i think you would be a good mass murderer because i think a you'd do it with style and b i think you'd be really good at hiding it well, you see, the trouble is also because I'm such a big fan of those Vincent Price films, the early 70s, the Fibes films and and Theatre of Blood, where in, if you've never seen the first Dr. Fibes films, he kills people in uh, the different biblical plagues, locusts, etc., and frogs. And then uh, Theatre of Blood, he kills people in the style of different Shakespeare plays. And there's a beautiful lot like Robert Morley. Uh, who plays a theatre critic called Meredith Meridew. And he's given a Titus Andronicus murder. Uh, he has these poodles that he loves. And in, in the play Titus Andronicus, uh, the children are killed and, and baked in a pie. In this, Vincent Price wow. bakes Meredith Meridew's poodles in a pie. It's a fantastic film. It's a really great camp British movie. You might be one of the only people that remembers this, but can you remember a film called Bluebeard? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The uh, very rarely shown. It's never. Yeah. It, there's certain. I love that. There's certain films that just get entirely lost. It, it was one of those ones that is, I used to watch as a kid. I don't know why, but I did. But it, it was. It's basically that. It's a, a, a. I think it's an aristocrat that just loves a bit of murder, and yeah. it was just. It was fascinating as a child to see all these different ways he did it, and it was torturous. But as you said, almost that late night TV culture doesn't exist now, mm. which is a shame because you did get to see some brilliant stuff. I think. See, I wonder sometimes in terms of imagination, I think it's brilliant that people have such easy access to so much, but I also think the fact you were forced into cul-de-sacs of entertainment, the fact mm. there was no choice, and I'm not saying it was a golden age because anyone who says there was a golden age of television, if you actually look at an old TV or radio times, you will go, oh my God, yeah. summertime seaside special with Mike and Bernie Winters. <laughs> it was not, you know, it wasn't a better time for entertainment, but I do think that bit of going, this is all we've got, so let's see what happens with this film. And then you, yeah. because I think if you're always being given an algorithm that directs you to what the algorithm believes you'll like, you're going to miss a lot of treasures that you had. No, that, that's why I think it's always important to, if you can, try and go and see a band that you don't really know very much about. Go to an art exhibition that you think, I don't really know anything about this. See things that you're not sure you'll like, because that's where very often you get those great Damascene moments of like, wow, mm. turns out that is brilliant. I completely agree as well that, the, the late night TV culture, they were stuff like the other day I was watching In Bed with My Dinner with Bob Mills. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, I, I love Bob Mills, and, and it's just one of those things of I would never have watched that if there was streaming channels because you had no choice back then. And that's where Davina McCall launched in God's Gift, which was just <laughs> which again, if you if you look back at that, would not get away with it in this day and age, but of its time, it was it was brilliant. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, so what would be your favourite childhood TV programme? It doesn't have to be late night. It could be any kind of schedule you like. Oh, uh, it probably would be Sapphire and Steel. I'm All thinking right. about, I'm trying to think now of my favourite ones. And, and I do think, I really love the spooky ones. I love the strange. It's going to be, you know, Doctor Who is is high in there, obviously. Particularly, I was lucky. I was the right age to hit it when Doctor Who went through its hammer horror phase with oh, Philip right. Hinchcliffe as the producer. So you had Tom Baker, who I think is such an interesting and eccentric actor. Uh, you had these fantastic, you know, Pyramids of Mars, which was basically a mummy's movie. Brain of Morbius, which is basically Frankenstein. They were all these kind of gothic horrors. And I have, you know... Tr- a tremendous love of of that but it would be within that in that area i think who who would be the favorite doctor would it be it tom was tom baker, baker because yeah. I, I mean i don't know how much it is down to obviously everyone would say the your first one the one that you grew up with but i also love reading interviews with tom baker i love listening to tom baker I, I think he is, he's a, a, you know, and he used to hang around in, in, you know, in, in Soho with Francis Bacon and, you know, all of these different kind of the Soho set. And there's a lovely, I was, I was chatting to an old friend of his who said, you know, quite often t- Tom would have just done a uh, an advert and he would come straight into the French house, which I don't know if you ever knew the French house. I don't know if it's still, I don't think it's, it, it was a small bar and you could only get pints in, in you can only get a half pint. Uh, you couldn't get a pint. And, uh, um, and he would go in and there would be, you know, Francis Bacon and that. And he would just say, come on, then let's go and hammer the optics. And so once he'd got the cash from doing whatever, an advert for Flymo or something, they would hammer the optics. And, and I, th- I think, yeah, he is. He's a very interesting character. That's not to in any way diss those other other people who all have interesting backstories to them as well. But I think Tom Baker himself is, is, is an extent. And I love that story of the the, the man who, who came up to, I'm sure, you know, Oxford Street one day he was walking down the street and this man came up to him and just stopped him and uh he said he said oh can i just just tell you he said um i was i was brought up in a, in a children's home and uh, every saturday night when you were on it just made things it was just that there was a glimmer there was a glimmer there and he just and apparently the guy just put his thumbs up and just walked away and that's all he, he didn't want to say anymore yeah. and it's it's what i was talking about when uh you know just after timber taylor died and uh you know, talking to some of the goodies fans and stuff is the goodies again was a show where uh, it was a mainstream show and lots of people loved it. But you know, there's that bit, isn't there? Lots of people love a show, but then there's the point where you really love the show and you're quite obsessed mm. with the show. And, yeah. and and that is where, um, I, you know, for a lot of people, that moment when the goodies was on, there was another bit where you didn't, you weren't enjoying school. You weren't having necessarily a good time growing up, but it's the goodies tonight and everything, mm. everything else is forgotten for that half hour. And yeah. I think those are very important, those shows. That's that's a perfect summary of, of why those questions are, are formulated because, again, with chronic illness, quite often that point of escapism is so necessary. You know, it's holistic. So for me, I'd put Mighty Boosh, I'd put Detectorists. Um, because, I mean, Detectorists, just the theme tune alone, it's just like, oh, I'm on opiates. It's oh, just Dexter- perfect. Detectorists is a, is a perfect 
creation, isn't it? There's yeah. nothing. There is not a fault in that, in every moment of casting, delivery, in the look of it. I mean, I, I, I just think Mackenzie, it's such a great thing, isn't it? You know, McKenzie, I wonder what Mackenzie did after the office. I know he was in Pirates of the Caribbean, blah, blah, blah. He waits and he waits. and he, I know. I think he's written a couple of children's books as well, hasn't he, Mackenzie? And he's, yeah, uh, yeah. he's always seemed to me like, I remember years ago, first gig I did with him was when he used to do a character called Charlie Cheese with the Wheel of Cheese. I remember that, and, yeah. uh, and then, you know, and then I met him immediately after. Didn't recognise him. He'd introduced me on stage, but without the wig and the glasses and everything. It was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm the bloke who did the character. Oh, hello, Mackenzie. And and then, yeah, but yeah, to Tetris, perfect, perfect. I, I think he's uh, comes from somewhere around my way as well. I think he's uh, Gravesend or something like that. I think, yeah. Sorry? Dartford. Oh, Dartford, apparently. Being corrected over my shoulder. <laughs> I have to get you on the microphone at some There's point. There's not enough footnotes. This is what I feel that this this podcast is lacking footnotes. Yeah, actually. <laughs> totally. Right. So I'm going to get on to appreciation, and I'm again conscious of your time. Um, so again, appreciation when you're in the surroundings that you're in all the time. That most people are experiencing lockdown. Uh, senses are quite important. So for me, I fully put my hands up that I do use candles. None of the floral stuff, you know, none of that. Um, so if you was to be a candle maker, what would go into your special smelly candle? Well, it would be, I think it would be Butterscotch Angel Delight, which I don't even know if that's still produced. I'm not sure. I'm I haven't pretty been sure people. it does. But that that moment when your mum was putting it in the mixing bowl and some of the powder, just that, <laughs> the, the, the candied powder would kind of, you know, hit your nostrils. And it was, there's something about whatever it's made of, which brings back, you know, again, it's another Proustian rush of just all of those different sensations, just the excitement of that. I completely agree with that because I've got a similar one of, I hate mint chocolate, but the only one I had in Angel Delight was mint chocolate Angel Delight. And I actually, I, I think it was the Sainsbury's own version. I don't think Angel Delight did their own. So I can completely understand that as well. Did you actually like eating it or is it just the smell? Oh, well, I think like I think a lot of sweet things, it's the potential beforehand. It's the expectation. Yeah. It's like when you go past one of those beautiful cake shops, you know, and the window has just the way that the cream's been piped, the different bits of the way the chocolate flaking's been done. Yeah. And you can't stop yourself, but you know the best thing would be to not eat it <laughs> because it's, uh, you know, like so much of life, you, you know, the, the desire for that pastry will never, you know, again, like a, a lot of existence, the best bits are daydreaming about the potential of something rather than the existence of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Make sure you enjoy those daydreams. I've always, every podcast I've done, I've always tried to angle for sponsorship of Ben's cookies. It's never worked yet. I mean, this is, this is produced in support of Calm Zone. But sponsorship, if you're out there, Ben's Cookies, please, because <laughs> legendary. <laughs> Did you try that? Because when I saw you at Canterbury last, I gave you a pack of Polish wafer tubes. Did you try oh, yeah, those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think of those? I love things like that because they they're, like... they're, they're attached to, again, that consistency is attached to a history of childhood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. When I found those, I was like, I, I, they're, they're like crack. They are so addictive. They just slide <laughs> down. <laughs> Right, and and you've, the answer to this one you've mentioned a few times, but and I can imagine I'm speaking to you now in a, in a chapel of books. <laughs> so, is there a book that's helped you? Yeah, it's always weird that, isn't it? Because I never there's I mean, all books have to some extent. I think every I really think the the world they can take you to, and the one that I was thinking when we first talked about this was. I did, and it's a recent one. So, I mean, rather, I, the, this answer could be 2,000 different answers, and I think they would all be as true as each other. But 
I did find, you know, books that stay with you. I mean, what, one of the books that really stays, John Higgs, who wrote Stranger Than We Can Imagine, which is a history of the 20th century and, and how everything changes when you lose the final centre of being, uh, of, of, of humanity, once quantum mechanics comes in. So we've lost all the other centres. We're not the centre of the solar system. We're not a special creature. Uh, we're part of all the other animals. And then we have, you know, quantum indeterminacy as well. That would be high up there. His book about the KLF burning a million pounds is also an incredible, incredible exploration but i think alan moore's jerusalem is one that i just enjoyed the first time i had to read it quite quickly because i was doing an event with him and then i started again when you first asked me that question i just started reading it again i just thought it helps me because i love the layering of time that it deals with and i think that can be a real comfort to people as well i think there's a, you know nietzsche talked about eternal recurrence that the idea is to think that not this is the last day of your life but that this is a day you're going to live for eternity. And the block universe idea, to some extent in physics, gives you that idea that, that all of time exists as a solid. And don't worry, it's not like you feel it and you don't get deja vu, you don't... But that idea of thinking each day is lived forever, sometimes I think that can be a helpful drive. So I think, you know, Jerusalem, where Alan basically... Much like James Joyce's Ulysses, uh, I think it's probably slightly longer than that, though, uh, his intention was almost to create something you could rebuild Northampton from. So in the same way James Joyce would say, you know, you could rebuild Dublin from, from, from Ulysses. And when you first go back to Northampton uh, and you've read the book, it's just packed with ghosts, and I love that. It's packed with every, you know, there's the Black Lion pub, and I can feel one of those ghosts walking through me now. And as someone who doesn't have... You know, I, I, you know, I don't have any great kind of mystic beliefs, but I do love the uh, the comfort of ideas. Mm. And, and and I think, you know, Alan covers so many different things and he writes, he creates voices that seem to me to be so authentic about so many, you know, so many different characters able to walk in their shoes. And so I think that is another book, which I must just add. Sorry, I know it's only going to be one, but let's just cheat, um, which is um, I would really recommend a book called um, Others. I don't know if I've said that to you before. Charles Fernerhoff, who who is uh, edited it. And it's just it's all about the I drive behind it was stories are a brilliant way of us going into other people's skin. And so it's people with lots of different experiences sometimes it's their own experiences which involve it might be about uh race mental health uh gender uh sexuality illness whatever and they're just short pieces sometimes poems sometimes fictional stories sometimes little bits of memoir and i thought it was a tremendously powerful book especially i think i was reading it when there was another debate about some bad taste comic and i looked at their joke and i thought you know what if they'd read this piece by this person who suffers from what you've just been mocking, you would realise what their life, what they have to go through in their life, and you would realise how difficult... Because I think I've become more and more interested in the last few years about thinking about my own advantages and thinking about the things that I am that mean that when I leave the house, I don't immediately carry with me something which increases the chances of, you know, abuse or being behaved, you know, people behaving abominably or, or ignoring me or whatever. Um, because I am, you know, middle class, white, male, and uh, I don't have a heterosexual. So I don't have a lot of things that other people, when they leave the house, they're immediately on their guard. And I think that book was really, really useful for just underlining 
that point and from exploring different people's sense of of sometimes the battles I have to go through because I think we've we've entered we we are at a period now where there's a great nonchalance where some people will say people in my position everything's sorted now I mean I don't know what no one's got an issue with anyone being what they're not and of course we know that's bullshit because you go on social media and the moment someone is something other the fury you know, I've, I've seen know it well from my friends who, you know, I keep mentioning Josie, but, you know, Josie is a great example of someone who, when I look at the amount of abuse that she's had on social media for a very long time, since she was pretty young, mm. um, that was a real, you know, part of the realisation of, even at that moment of going on social media, you and I have an advantage because we're male you know and so others i just thought was it i'd really recommend it. it it was just an unbound book and uh it just it's filled with stories that i think are you know useful that's why I, again I, I unapologetically love you because that degree of reflection is just perfect if we all had that yeah the world would be a better place Oh man, you're, you're making it very hard for me because you know how I'm a typical, you know, I, I really, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's the trait, isn't it, that many of us carry with us, which is, uh, we spend all of our time seeking out those who, uh, loathe us and, uh, any form of compliment makes us shrink into our own skin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm exactly the same. I can't punch me more than compliment me. I deal with it better. Yeah. Um, so quickly moving on before I make you blush too much. Um, have you got a documentary that's meant something to you or changed your perspective or some way? Oh man, that's tough because there are so many. I love documentaries, and uh, oh, do you know? I'm not going to remember the name. But it, is, it was made by Carol Morley, and uh, oh man, did I give you? I bet I gave you an answer when you originally you think, asked. Yeah. yeah, and I wonder what it was. Um, I, do you know scene. what? I said it was Cosmos, didn't I, that's by Carl it, yeah. Sagan, and that would have changed things, and it did. That was a really important document. Uh, nearly all of the documentaries also that have um, been done by uh, Christopher Sykes, who made the, the documentary where it's just Richard Feynman sitting in a chair talking. But the one I, I was suddenly thinking of that book, the, 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 the documentary, dramatised documentary, with then the real people talking heads in it as well. Uh, Carol Morley, where it's about um, a, a young woman whose body was found in a flat in Wood Green, and she'd been there for a long time and it was about how she'd ended up as this young person who'd been had loads of potential and all this kind of thing and, and yet she, she was then just someone who died in a flat and no one even knew she was dead and um it's made by carol morley uh look at when, when you get a chance yeah um but that one was a really important uh documentary as well but I love documentary. I mean, I, I just there's a beautiful series um, called Seven Wonders, which were different scientists talking about their their loves. And there's one with um, Miriam Rothschild, who, amongst other things, was an expert on fleas, did a lot of study in fleas. Oh, wow. And as you watch her with her rabbits that she keeps to comb the fleas off them and uh, and then examine the fleas. And she loves the fleas. She has to put a little bit of chloroform on them so they're not too jumpy. So the <laughs> idea of here is this wonderful old woman who is is very carefully, so she's not killing the fleas she's just making them a little bit sleepy and i love having to work at that kind of level as well so a sleepy flea there's a, there's a yeah. concept <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounds like a, a, yeah some kind of bizarre online tag i think <laughs> um and again i knew you'd come up with some brilliant answers for that um so again try, i'm very conscious of your time so a song that gets you pumped and a song that gets you relaxed uh I, i'm sure i'll put jubilee street when you ask me uh i i really uh 
but probably the one that I think most, the one that I've returned to most, and I used to have it as the, the penultimate song before I went on stage, because I always listen before I go on for half an hour. I basically always make a, the equivalent of a mixtape because theatres have such great sound systems, so it's really nice to hear your favourite yeah, music yeah. through a really good sound system. And uh, quite often I would come on to uh, Waiting for the Great Leap Forward by Billy Bragg, but before that, Polyphonic Spree, I just delight in... Uh, polyphonic spree i love what i mean that they, they did a brilliant version of neil young's heart of gold which is just magnificent there's so many people involved in it. it's everyone banging an instrument making a sound but their cover version of nirvana's lithium is just it, it is a and it is you you, you feel as if it's a, a biblical scene where the walls of jericho are coming down it's just magnificent i would also answer by the way the, the one in terms of, of coming down I, I do think that last album by leonard cohen uh you want it darker with that 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 song you want it dark is such a beautiful song as well so i think lithium lithium to uh that probably sounds wrong doesn't lithium to take me up it's because <laughs> yeah. uh, it but but the polyphonic spree uh cover of nirvana's lithium and then then leonard cohen's uh you want it darker and then you've got down here that a song that relaxes you i think is nick cave's uh ghosting yeah nick cave's ghosting certainly i don't know if it relaxes you i mean it takes you i think again like certain bits of art certain pictures certain films certain it it does almost to me that's that's the nearest to taking hallucinogens you know it's it's that bit where and ghosting if you find the right place to listen to it and you just get quiet and you just put it on that bit where he's lost again that bit when i was talking about films that i like films more and more which aren't clear in the same way ghosting isn't verse chorus middle eight and so it 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 kind of moves in a different way across you and then the last one that's before the quick fire uh john uh, i've just given it away but i asked you (laughs) i've asked you for an unsung hero and it is john john hegley yeah john hegley i just love john hegley i think john hegley is uh there's lots of people that i think should be you know i would also include another unsung hero is joanna neary uh who is just who brilliant performer and writer and uh wonderful character called celia which she still does and i would like everyone to see her work she's one you know there's certain people sometimes when i feel sorry for myself and i think oh do you know what all of those ideas that i had that came to nothing or were stolen by people and turned into something else and they made money from it then i think of the people who really deserve to have had more for and joanna neary is 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 utterly brilliant and please anyone listening to this go and look up her work and if if, if, when 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 lockdown ends she also she runs a wonderful club in uh, the lamb inn in eastbourne as well um and then john hegley just because i've the first time i saw john he just has something that's not like any other stand-up and he's you know he's a poet and he has a real kind of you know beauty to what what he does and uh so yeah, I I and and I think what sorry, there's a bit of a whoop there. That's because, uh, but I'll, I'll I'll come back to that. But yeah, it's um, yeah, John Hegley, and and I love it. I sometimes when I'm working with uh, um, John, I will introduce him by singing Eddie Don't Like Furniture, which is such a great song. <laughs> um, so I just I I I I think what he is, um, he just yeah he he should be celebrated because he a deep place a deep humanity in him and an 
interesting you know human being which is what joe has as well joe has i mean i think in some ways sometimes that's why some of the people become unsung or don't get the uh the level of of, of celebration that they deserve is because they do plow so much their own furrow and they they don't have a choice of saying do you know what i'm going to change that angle because i think that's where the money is now or that's what the commissioners are into they are what they are and that's what they must be. And I mean, there's a beautiful thing on the teachers channel. It's on YouTube now that they had various different kind of people uh, going in to be a, a teacher in, in a primary school for a day. And John is one of the people who goes in to do that oh, and, wow. and watch John uh, teaching the kids various things. Again, it just you, you see someone who has such a deep interest in human beings. I completely agree with you that quite often they are unsung heroes for a reason because they're just not known because they're plowing themselves into the cause, into the work. I see that all the time in what I do in drug policy. There are so many people out there. Like, you need to be on a pedestal and you know, no one necessarily understands or hear your voice, but you know, just absolutely amazing what they do. There was something um, that I read which kind of slightly... I can't remember whose book it was in, but there was a quote from someone which said, uh, the more imagination required, the smaller the audience you'll have. Nice. And yeah, I think, I like and I think, in so, I mean, that is equally, of course, why you then get certain performers who people are incredibly, uh, you know, they they just love their work and they will not not leave them. And you know, when Reeves and Mortimer started, you know, it wasn't like the biggest audience on TV, but pretty much everyone who was watching it absolutely adored it and would go yeah. and see everything that they did. So I think you know, on the other side of it, but then there are some people who just never make it through, and I think it's a uh, it's a great pity because. And also we have a, a lack of imagination very often um, in those who are making things because they're very often thinking, right, what we need to commission now, what's going to get the audiences? Mm. Yeah, and in a way you could argue that's what's happened with podcast world. It's become this weird saturated field that's now been dominated by the kind of the, the big corporate places and, and, and podcasts almost become a bit of a weird, dirty word. Mm. Um, have you got time for the quick file? Would you yeah, want to yeah, end yeah. it there? Yeah. You sure? Yeah, yeah, of course. I'll just text him and say, stop ringing. I told them I'd be late. They should know. We've only, we've only got to have a uh, um, a little chat about what we're doing on... Uh, um, uh, if we were still actually doing it from the Albert Hall, I might say I've got to go, but we're not. We're doing it yeah, all from our own rooms. <laughs> I mean, what's that like playing the Albert Hall? That's, that's surely bucket list. Do you know what? It's not. It's a really weird thing. One of the things that I've found out is that there's not... I've not had as big a kick or... You know, I've I've not had uh, the same sensation doing that that I have from lots of kind of small places. Um, really? And uh, it was like do, doing the huge tour with Brian. And I thought it was a, it's a beautiful thing to have the opportunity to go and play the O2 and Wembley yeah. Arena and all these huge places. But we kind of almost afterwards, we'd sit there and eventually go, it's big, wasn't it? But I didn't. I never walked off the stage with the same sense of uh, achievement as in some of the smaller places. I mean, it's still great. You're... I'm glad I've done it. I mean, I'm not saying I would. I would change it. I think it's brilliant to have had that opportunity, and I think it's still exciting when we do the next tour. We'll be doing similar things again, and it is. It's. 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 Uh, it's such. You know, to have to have the opportunity of that experience is brilliant. But it's an interesting thing that it's a very different sensation than playing to two or 300 people in a room where you just go, oh, the connection's all there and it's really working tonight and I'm doing it right and I'm improvising and I've found that thing. That That is the one where you do, I think it's hardest to go to sleep after that. That, that was going to be my question. Is it because you are so connected with people that you need that and a big stage is just too 
you know, too generic and too kind of at arm's length. I think it's also on a big stage, undoubtedly you're not going to be able to experiment as much, as much as you might think mm. you can. If you are playing to, and, you know, especially when I'm, when I'm touring with Brian, you know, I, I, I'm always aware that, you know, he's the, he's the name that's in the big font. You know, so I go on and I have to think about what do they want and I do so I'm fat I'm always a, I mean I still experiment every night and I will change it and when we do our conversations I always throw in different things and we always have moments where we don't know what either of us are doing so we, I mean I'm lucky in that as well which is working with someone like Brian I think we do have a, a level of, of, of trust in each other I think the fact that we could do last year whatever it is 115 dates together and never argue occasionally wow. we were both really tired and you'd think I'm just going to sit and eat jelly babies over there while he sits over there with his wine gums. You know, but it was never like a. It was literally now it's just a time to go. Ugh. But we never had a had a, had a falling out, and so that so it's still it's an utter it's a joy, and sometimes it comes afterwards. Sometimes it is a long time afterwards. Sometimes I'm going to a venue to watch a band, like going to watch Nick Cave, and I think I played there. Yeah. I bloody stood up there, and and so there is still, but it's a different sensation to the sensation of of going i mean i used to do love doing the every night i did that poem about the den that was you know almost how we ended the show and then brian would talk about you know the 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 laws of of, of the universe and how they mandate both life and death um but that every night walking on and going i'm getting to do a poem in front of twelve thousand people it's crazy and when we get back to normal i do recommend people go and watch robin for that very reason that poem is, is gorgeous i still think of it now and especially now we're going to be having a child I'm going to be thinking of that. We went out for a walk the other night and I saw little places that could we go, right, that's a den place, that's a den place. Mm. We we refer to you so much in this house. You'll believe it. <laughs> so how have, you, how have you found that doing the Stay at Home Festival and not having that audience there? Has, has that been tricky for you? Do you know, weirdly enough, it hasn't. I think what happens with me is if I don't have enough gigs, I it, but the adrenaline is all over the shop. But because I've got no gigs and no one has any gigs, somehow the act of being able to make something every day and have something to do every day has been enough. So I haven't as yet. It's a bit like when I tried to stop doing stand up and it didn't didn't stop for, for you know, I, I still end up doing kind of a, about a gig every couple of weeks. But it was easier if I just went do almost nothing in terms of live performance. But it's that middle ground. Three gigs a week means that I'm, you know, that's why I end up normally doing seven gigs a week or, you know, more than that. Um, so at the moment, it's been, you know, I'm, I'm in a fortunate position that I had a huge tour last year or three long, long tours, which also means that unlike a lot of the performers and a lot of people out there at the moment who are, for, I mean, in particular, self-employed people, I know there's, there's a, it's, there are people in, in, in a really difficult, precarious situation. So I've been very fortunate in that. We're going to end on quick fire. So have you got a favourite colour? Uh, I think it probably is blue in the end. Though I do like grey. Isn't that dull? But I do like a grey yeah. shirt. There's something about a grey shirt. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I'm always getting told off for wearing grey jogging bottoms and grey T-shirts. I, I think, it I, again, for me, it's nostalgic. Because can you remember those grey sweatshirts you used to get at market? Yeah, some yeah, yeah. really bad rip-off street hawk or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yes. That's why I, I, I completely agree with you. You've got mauve for this on, on my on my answer oh, sheet. Oh, yeah, so. there we go. I've changed. I've changed there over time, yeah. <laughs> Blue, mauve and grey. There's definitely a palette for you. <laughs> uh, a taste of naughty, something that you, you like but you kind of wish you didn't. Oh, now, what will that be? Let me think of it on, on, on this one. I wonder what I said at the time. Let me just think. I completely what, uh, agree. It is cheese. It is, yeah, it yeah. is cheese. I eat too much cheese because I, I, I don't 
don't eat meat, but I am a vegetarian, not a vegan. And, and I have, and there's a point where you, sometimes you stop eating cheese. And then when you go back, you go, this is ridiculous. Why on earth do I eat? This is just sour rind, basically. But then after <laughs> the third taste, you go, mm, but I like it, but I like yeah. it. Yeah. Any, any particular cheese? Um, do you know what? Any cheeses. I, I like uh, nostalgia cheeses uh, would be a mini baby bell, but that's not ultimately satisfying. But a really proper cheddar. There's a mate of mine, Carl, who's become a really great radio producer now. He does things like in town with the Mark Steele, but he used to work in Blackburn Market. And he used to sometimes bring back this cheddar cheese that was kept under the counter and it was hallucinogenic. And One of you, those. It was so mature. And you would go, oh, rubbish, but you would have the best weird nightmares. It was strong enough cheese to direct your dreams. There's always those stories that there was a special cheese kept under the counter that had maggots in, and that was like the best cheese. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm a blue cheese fan, I must admit. Um, have you got a spirit animal, something that you just like? Yeah, I like crows. I like looking at crows. That's a good, yeah, perfectly. Um, about a fairly local-ish visitor attraction. I, I love there's a, a, a Berkhamsted Castle. There's not that much of it left, but there's still the moat, and then there's those little bits of broken walls, and you can kind of, you know, go up to... Now, is it the Mott or the Bailey? It's the Bailey, isn't it? No, the Mott. The Mott. It's the Mott, the top, oh, tall I've bit. I've got the very person next to me. that. What's the Mott and what's the Bailey, Sarah? The Bailey's the inner. The Bailey's the inner bit. And the Mott. The mot is kind of like the yeah, mound. Yeah, the mot. It's, it's got a good of, mot. Yeah. Definitely, it's got a good mot. The, uh, I should remember that. It was the first bit of homeschooling I was doing with Miss Sun during lockdown. So, uh, yes, so, so the mot, definitely. And it's just, it's a nice place. It, again, it's a, it's a place where I go quite a lot and you can just wander around it and there's, there's not much distraction and there's a lot of just the way that the plants grow around it and it's just very beautiful. Wow, that's, that's perfect. I love, I love a bit of a castle. Even if it's a ruin, I do love a castle. Uh, have you got a mental screensaver so somewhere? If you've got nothing else going in your head, well, it takes it us be? back to what we we're talking about before. It is that recent picture of uh, of a black hole. It's just such a wonderful, just the colour of it and the sense of it and the achievement of it. The fact that you know human beings have managed to get a you know an image of a black hole seems remarkable. So I, I keep that is that. incredible. Um, have you got? Well, I'm imagine you have, and you've said here it's too long. Uh, but have you got a stupid joke? It is. It is the one that ends with now. That is how you shake a towel. It's my favourite one, it. and uh, if anyone comes, if anyone who listens to this wants to know the rest of the joke, come up to me after lockdown. And I'll tell it to you. Perfect. Do you know how to make a, a chicken out of a tea towel? No, I tell, man with a beard used to do that. Yeah, I've seen. And Richard uh, Richard Wiseman's very good at making a chicken out of a tea towel as well. I'll take I'll take a picture later, and I'll, I'll let you know. It's easy. Uh, and then a revelation of something that you do in your head when you're on your own. Um, I sing to myself in a language of my own making. And sometimes it comes out of my head as well. I've I know exactly what you mean because that started happening to me. I've been making up nonsense lyrics, and I'm like, did that actually come out? Because mm. it's just it's absolutely you know, certifiable. Rubbish. It's kind of Some speaking cool. in tongues, isn't it? But without the sense of a uh, a deity manipulating you, you're in charge of your own nonsense. Right, quick, let's move off before we get certified. <laughs> have, you, have you got, a, and this is the last one, have you got a starstruck crush, someone that you would, you'd absolutely love to meet past or present? Um, I would love uh, the artist Robert Rauschenberg. I, I, I went and saw his exhibition about three years ago, which was at the Tate Modern, and I just loved everything. It was, it's a kind of thing that I don't know why, because it's so close, a lot of what he did, to things that I don't like, but it 
totally tips over into things that I absolutely adore. And uh, I just thought he was, uh, and every interview I've seen with him, he seems like a very, he was an interesting man. He, again, very humane and just wanting to create, create, create. And I just really loved what Robert Rauschenberg, I, I think somewhere between Robert Rauschenberg and another one, which was also an exhibition at the Tate Modern, which I love, which is Dorothea Tanning's work as well. Both of those people are artists that I think would have been, because some artists, of course, you can't talk to and some artists are so brilliant at creating the thing and that's their conversation their conversation is what they've created and don't try and but i think uh i think both of those would be people who would have been fascinating conversations as well perfect and then the very very last quick one because i forgot to mention it but a tv show past or present or a game show that you'd bring back if you could well when you said tv game show i thought and i do still love it it's the bullseye i so end up i know it's the cliche yeah. but there's something about what that did that sunday afternoon yeah. five o'clock five thirty we always watched it watched it 30 years ago and watch it now and i think it would also be an interesting thing because like the tv show mr and mrs it's a real window into a, the society of the time and i think it'd be very interesting to see what a window it would be now so don't forget there's going to be a live Christmas Day special with Robin Ince, Jason Ong and friends on the Cosmic Shambles Network, cosmicshambles.com. Tune in. I think I've got no choice. I'm going to have to. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be the perfect Christmas Day. Thank you so much, Robin. You were just astounding. I knew that you'd be niche references and perfect pop culture references and you didn't fail to, to amuse and, yeah, just completely live up to my expectations, quite frankly. So thank you so much, Robin. And... As I said before, this is about chronic illness and lockdown and how to cope and survive. And if you do need help, the Calm Zone is there, campaign against living miserably. So go to thecalmzone.net. Their helpline is 0800 585 Their web chat is available and don't forget to donate. And some thank yous. Thank you to so much for Gista Chaz for the music. Thank you to My Name is Add the Artwork. John and Nikki, the producers that helped and do so much on this, thank you for listening. If you can subscribe and all that sort of thing because season two is coming i had some delays on it because of various reasons one of them being a child a baby yeah i'm a father now god help us so i think that's a good enough excuse to why i was a little bit delayed on releasing season two but it's all recorded i've just got to get it out there so stay tuned season two is coming thank you so much for joining us on summer star revolution from my bed bye